0: What was really fascinating for me was the questions I was being asked by these so-called startup funds had no relation to the business and they hardly asked anything about me. Because to me it's all about the jockey. It's about do you have confidence in the person to actually deliver and have they a good track record. But I think uh, they were interested in tech, technology funds at that time and they weren't interested in something like, so I want to thank them for not investing because they don't own the companies.
1: The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello, and you're welcome back to a brand new season of the Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. We are gonna share the inspirational stories of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs. I'm Sonia Lennon, and in this episode, I'll be talking to PJ Rigney, the curious mind who created what is now deemed to be the best gin in the world, Drumshambo Gunpowder Gin. The Shed Distillery, which creates the gin, began life as recently as November 2013 and has grown this remarkable brand into a global force. But gin is just the beginning. I am a bit confused about whether to address you as PJ or Pat, but I'm going to choose to address you as Pat, and we'll come back to the other persona afterwards. Pat, tell us a little bit about your beginnings. Every great entrepreneur has a a sort of an awakening and a moment where they realise that things aren't necessarily going to go the way they thought. So, your upbringing, your background, how did that play out?
0: Well, my background, I guess, I was amongst a family of uh, five boys, and my dad was an entrepreneur in the poultry business and in the fish business. So I've always had a, a family business background. Um,
1: and he was an accountant as well, was he? He,
0: he was an accountant, but I'm not. And uh, I'm, I would, you know, but he was an accountant and an entrepreneur and built a business from scratch down in the Midlands, raising uh, Dale Dale poles for sale turkeys. And a great
1: skill to have that accountancy at the backbone of a business empire.
0: Yes, he was very much a numbers guy, and uh, but also very focused on the customer and delivering a very high quality product.
1: So so how, how did that impact you then, do you think, in terms of your choices going forward?
0: Well, I ended up doing the BCom after school and um, I knew very early on I didn't want to be an accountant and and in that space, and I was very fortunate to get a role in in uh, sharing's Grants of Ireland in the drinks business back in the early 80s. And I was in the marketing end, which at that stage was, um, I guess, it wasn't nearly as sophisticated as it is today. So you were doing everything. But within that space, and then soon after in in Gilby's and in Bailey's, I got involved in new brand development from a very early stage, and I absolutely loved it. I loved creating new brands, opening new markets, working with new people, creating new things. Um, And while I was working on the, the core business, at all times, I was always working on something new and something exciting. So, I so early R&D. Early R&D, early uh, trying to understand consumers, what turned them on, what turned them off, um, experimenting, um, and working with some great people, really the Google Heads at the time, who worked in Baileys, um, who were pioneers, who were creating um, something very special, and really trying to get control of, of a brand that was at that stage, was like a stallion running away, but trying to manage it, opening up new markets. Um, and I created the Sheridan's brand back in those days. I would have created
1: many other brands, smaller brands. So so you you, you took a trajectory which brought you through a number of drinks businesses. Yes. And, and was that um, by accident or by design?
0: It was to a large extent by accident. I just was very fortunate to get a role when I left... Uh, college, there was very few jobs in those days. In fact, there was two graduate jobs in marketing. One of them was in, in Clonmel, where I went and I worked with Grants of Ireland. And I found out, God, this is great. This is like show business. This is a wonderful business to be in. So I'll be honest, it was very much by accident working with great people.
1: There's no shame in by accident. <laughs> a lot of by accident happens along the way, right?
0: Absolutely. And it was, um, And then one thing led to another. Um, and because in the in those days there was very few companies in the industry, you could progress quite quickly. And we were at the early renaissance of Bailey's. It was, it was ten years old, and it was absolutely flying. And um, and I was able to to work with really extraordinary people.
1: And that must have been a global
0: case study at that stage. Yeah, what was interesting about Bailey's at that time, all of it was managed here. It was a three hundred and sixty. So they they made it here. They all the marketing was done from here. All the Finance was done from here and we were dealing with third-party distributors around the world. So it was a very exciting time and they were in control of the business here um, and they were doing something that had never been done before, creating a global brand out of Ireland, targeting primarily uh, the female consumers but not exclusively and doing it at a premium So it was really like carrying the banner for Ireland
1: around the world at that time. It was a very special time. And do you find yourself still checking in on progress and and watching it as a brand? Yes, I would be very proud of what Baileys have achieved
0: um, for Ireland in terms of our image, in terms of quality. So I'm always checking in to see how it's doing. Um, The more recent success would be Jemison, which I particularly uh, take great pride in as well. Indeed, all the great Irish brands. I'm just learning about Kerrygold's great success this week in the U.S., And in Germany, where they really, you know, have made a huge impact and are the the number two butter in those markets. Extraordinary, isn't it? It is.
1: Little tiny island that we are.
0: And it's all about the brand at the end of the day.
1: So before we get onto that, and I am dying to get onto that, what happened next? So you had been a successful, motivated um, employee um, with an entrepreneurial background and history in your upbringing, what was the point that you realised you had no choice? Well, I
0: guess, at that stage, you know, I mean, we were doing well. I was doing well in Baileys, but, I mean, we were working hard. Um, I probably wouldn't have looked at it in the same way that I was successful, but I was. We were doing well. I was very friendly with another director of Baileys called David Phelan, and I'd worked with him in Clonmel. And we were just good buddies, and we said, you know what? If we're going to do something, let's, do something. Let's, let's, uh, let, let's, let's move fairly soon and create a, a brand that we could take around the world. So, we set up Baru Vodka in 1999 together, and we did that in... Quite
1: While still an employee? No, or we left. You, you left. We yeah. left,
0: and that was a real leap of faith. Um, but we felt confident in the brand, and we did that with, uh, with a couple of partners, Carberry and West Cork. And a company called Terra in County Cavan who helped us with the production, and we took that to Ireland and the world in um, 1999 up to 2003. We oh,
1: was that a huge risk for you at that stage?
0: Huge risk, and I had no idea how big the risk was until we were involved in that business because we leveraged it to the hilt in terms of the money that went in and the borrowings and so on. But we um, and we made a lot of mistakes in terms of um, you know along the way in terms of maybe how we put it together, how we manage certain aspects of the business overseas. But you know…
1: What were the mistakes? What were the big ones, do you think?
0: Well, I think uh, we could have been better on our people management, because we didn't really have people management skills for a small-scale business. I think we could definitely have done better in that area. I think we should have focused more on the financial side of the business at an early stage, having the right information at the right time. Um, But we got through all of that. Um, and we started to build a very exciting business, and we, um, we met a great partner in the U.S., and I was in a snowstorm in 2003 in the U.S. with this partner, and he turned around in the snowstorm and said, you know what, Pat, I love what you guys do, why don't we put my company and your company together, let's go and float it on the stock exchange, let's make some money. This is literally over a conversation like this, and I said, hmm, that's interesting, and I rang my partner, David Phelan. And within an hour, I was up at his lawyer's office and by the end of the day, we had a heads of agreement and we went off and we we, um, we, followed through on that. Over the next 18 months, we raised, we had to raise $10 million, we raised about $25 million for the project and then we floated the company. The rest is history. So I learned an awful lot along the way. And also, you. one of the key things I learned is that you never know when the when the knock comes on the door for something like that. And that was a huge piece of learning for us.
1: It's funny because I, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, the subject of luck, you know, and and somebody could have said that that was a, a lucky moment. But I think as an entrepreneur, you get to realise that you create your own luck and you create your own opportunities. To an extent. So go on, elaborate. I'm
0: huge into good karma. And I have learned particularly on the Shed Distillery project, good karma comes from having good people around you and putting yourself into a good into a situation where you're open to opportunities and you're listening for opportunities and if the opportunity comes up that you, you move on it immediately you don't let it go and I am absolutely convinced that our the success and it's a, early stages with the Shed Distillery much of that is rooted in the good people we're working with it and good karma throughout the project. Um, I'm not a deeply religious guy but I, I believe in all of that and you um, we definitely got karma on the Baru project with the people Amazing.
1: we met. Amazing, and so much of it is people, isn't it?
0: It's all about people, and um, the older you get, the wiser you get. I mean, it's um, and what we do now in the Shed Distillery project is we hire everybody. We hire it's on character, ability, capability, um, not necessarily on experience. We'll train them. You can uh, learn. They can learn.
1: I'm dying to hear all about that. But come back to me for a second. We were at Baroo Vodka. Yes. Yeah, so what happened next? So
0: what happened next then? All of a
1: sudden you're a floated all, company. I'm, a
0: f- I'm out. Uh, well, I'm no longer. It's floated and I exit at that stage. And then I, um, good karma, um, I decide, well, I'm not going to do one project anymore. I'm going to do several projects. Portfolio be- entrepreneur. Because I suppose we were so leveraged, and it was so scary with Peru. You know, it could have gone one way, it could have gone the other way, but thankfully it went the right way. So I was walking down the street very soon after, bumped into an old colleague of mine from Gilby's, um, Bailey's, who is the top sales guy in the company. He said, I'm thinking of setting up a drinks company. I said, that's a great idea. For what? <laughs> For distributing brands in Ireland. I said, wow, I'd love to do that with you. And we set up Dalcassium Wines and Spirits in 2005. And today, on that company, which is managed by John Dillon, supported by me, we have about 40 employees and we, have, we distribute all sorts of wines and spirits across Ireland. So that was one project. Then I set up Fastnet Brands to help people develop their own brands and I work both in Ireland and in Germany and overseas with folks on that. Then I invest. So
1: with uh, uh, young companies, helping them to so, to grow. Funny enough, mainly established companies. Okay.
0: Yeah, and I do a lot of work in Germany with the number two drinks company or number three drinks company. Um, it's very interesting in Germany. They're very good at the functional work, but not necessarily good at the the emotional side. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's a gap. So I help them with all their branding. Um, I'm on the board of the Prince of Baden in Germany, the largest landowner. And I help him with all his succession planning, his business and his brand.
1: I'd say there's some good parties there. Yeah, funny enough, they're fairly low-key operators.
0: <laughs> um, but it's interesting, you know, it's, it's, he didn't want somebody from Germany to help him. He wanted interesting. Some, he wanted somebody from outside. A remove. Yes. And the Irish have a lot going for them in terms of communication, some of our skills in terms of um, being able to work with people and communicate with them. And we, it's a good marriage. I also invested in Walsh Whiskey, which is another brand, so I'm a director and shareholder of that. And I'm very proud of Ovell Pharmaceuticals, which is a skincare company led by Joanna Gardner. And I chair that and I've invested in that company as well. That's in skincare and they do some really good things. They're, um, they were established in 1934. They're one of the oldest companies in the country.
1: That's amazing.
0: So there you are. So, so let's,
1: let's, I'm going to draw it a little bit because we were starting to touch on it there about storytelling. Um, and very much the work that you do uh, in Germany and, and with your own brand. And, and before we start to dive into um, drum Drumshambo, uh, talk to me about storytelling in your own career trajectory. Because obviously, coming from a marketing backor- background, you understand that. But there is a piece around storytelling becoming um, almost a new art form in the marketplace right now.
0: Yes, I th- the whole storytelling thing, whether it's in food, drinks, cosmetics, or or whatever it's um, it's very much to the fore. As I think consumers become a lot more educated and interested in how brands are created, where they come from, who's behind them, um, they're certainly looking for looking under the bonnet to see how it's made, how it's put together. Is it real? Is it honest? Is it authentic? Is it authentic? But they're also looking for. Excitement, and they they want to be taken away. Um, they want they want they want to dream a little bit. They want um, they want some emotional uh, something that has that's not just a functional brand that actually brings more to the table and makes them feel good about themselves and the people they're with, and in some cases makes them look um, makes them look good in front of their peers. So, and I think um, it's interesting because. In the world today, people are maybe a little bit lonelier in some ways. Disconnected. uh, A little more disconnected. And everybody's looking for contact. And one way of connecting is through stories. And so it's way; it's almost back to the future.
1: It is because it's that that storytelling piece is is where you speak to the the heart of the person. Yes, you know. So your your consumer decisions are now the equivalent of uh, an entertainment experience that you're getting the same hit that you might have got going to the movies, for example.
0: Yes, consumers are looking for experiences. Yeah. Uh, whether it's going to, you know, to, to a visitor's experience, as I call it now, not a visitor's center they're going out for dinner they're going going into shop they're looking online are they're, they they're having a cocktail they're visiting a bar it's all about experiences now and um, and people will pay a premium for
1: that so in your travels um obviously with uh, your own business and yes. and through the EY network and beyond where have you seen that done really well
0: gosh uh, i see it i see it done really well pretty much i won't say everywhere but um, i have uh, in, on the wine side in Spain, in Rioja, I would say is best in class in terms of wine experiences. What they've actually done there, in terms of the bodegas and the visit and, and all of that, but it it could be uh, it could be in the Barry Hotel in New York in Manhattan where you you walk in and the minute you walk in you're you're having an experience and how the place has been renewed, in, in the lower East side and and uh, how the receptions put together the people communicate with you what the room looks and touches and feels like so I think it's everywhere
1: So Drum shambo The Shed how did how did that leap happen?
0: Well The Shed <clears throat> is something I've been thinking about for a long time and I'd always wanted to develop a distillery um, that would create what I call remarkable brands that would compete across the world with the best in the world so Drumshambo came about, again, through a bit of an act of God in terms of the location that my parents had met there um, 64 years ago, and I knew that. But I got a call one day that there was an opportunity to, to locate a business there in the old sham Factory, the old Laird's Sham Factory. This is in the December 2013. So I visited there on a rainy day, at a time when people were pretty worn out with the crash. So, if we can all go back to 2013, if you remember.
1: Was, I do. <laughs> it was just before things got, got
0: got a little better. So And on that day, that fateful day, a Saturday, I'm, I was there about 10 o'clock in the morning. The, the place wasn't in great shape, but the people I met were extraordinary. I met the local people from the town. I met the county manager. And they explained that this facility was leased to the community for 100 years because to try and create employment for, for the area. At what point? It had been leased about three or four years prior. Wow. And it was there, but it wasn't utilised properly. And they were intrigued, but they would a lot of people come and look at the place, but but walk away and not, not invest. So, I just connected with these guys. And I rang them on the Monday and I said, we'll go. We'll do it.
1: And in the back of your head, were you thinking, my mother and father met here? <laughs>
0: That was at the back of my head, but at the but at my Denise, my wife was involved in the business. Was like wow, and everybody I said was, "Where is Drumshambo?" And uh, but it turned out to be the best decision we, one of the best decisions we made.
1: So tell us about the evolution of, of the shed and and what has grown out of the shed. Well, we started
0: very simply with a very simple distillery, um, focused on creating uh, what I call. Premier Grand Cru Irish Whiskey, so the real top-end Irish whiskey, single pot still. So, that was where we started with no sales, no customers, um, and eventually moving into Trimshambo Gunpowder Irish Gin.
1: And, and was that, let me stop you here now, because there are going to be entrepreneurs all over the country listening to this going, hang on a second! So, this was self-funded?
0: Yes, uh, it was at the end. Um, I attempted to raise money for the business, and I failed completely. At that time. There was no faith in the industry back in 2013, uh, fourteen. But I did get support from Enterprise Ireland, which I was very grateful for under the HBSU scheme. And the rest of it I put in myself with my family. Um, so we start and and even the bank turned turned me down for a bond. So I said, Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you
0: later. I took all the money out of that bank into another bank and got a bond. So um,
1: and bearing in mind, this is the first business that you've, you 've every other business you 've set up you 've set up with partners
0: that 's right the first on my own, um, but what was really fascinating for me was the questions I was being asked by these so called startup up funds had no relation to the business, and they hardly asked anything about me because to me it 's all about the jockey it 's about do you have confidence in the person to actually deliver and have they a good track record? But I think uh, they were interested in tech, technology funds at that time, and they weren't interested in something like. So I want to thank them for not investing because they don't own the companies. So.
1: And I, and I, do... I have to say, this is—I know it's a hobby horse of yours—and um, your catchphrase. Sales cures all ills. That's the fella, and I, I do think um, in the startup sort of infrastructure at the moment. There is a sort of a disease around investment that, you know, the success of your business is nearly the success of your investment. From experience, investment is a full-time job. And if you're raising finance, it's very difficult to build a business. Yes. Particularly if you're on your own. I
0: spent about a year and I failed on raising the finance. But in the end, it, it worked out to our advantage. In, in many ways and um, we started off m- maybe more modestly we ended up being very resourceful and you know then we obviously added in funding as we um, developed cash flow and so on to re- you know to, to a point now where we've um, you know with a business that that you know will turn over well over seven million this year and it's it's only trading just over three years
1: That's the extraordinary bit of this story the velocity with which you have made real impact. Yes. But before we get onto that, I just want to talk a little bit about the setup because sure. y- y- you spent a year fundraising, it didn't work. Yes. You went anyway. Yes. You grew with stealth and bootstrapped this business. Uh, what what were the biggest challenges at that point? Well, the first challenge was I knew nothing about distillation. Great. Okay. Tick.
0: <laughs> so, that's a bit of an issue. Uh, a little bit. So, I had to learn all of that and I was very fortunate when we go back to good karma. When I was in Germany, I'm visiting my my prince uh, for, for a meeting and I woke up one morning in the pension I was staying and there was an unusual smell in my bedroom and I went downstairs and underneath my bedroom, the owner of the house who was probably about 85 years of age was distilling. And um, when I was being collected, I just mentioned this, and he said, wow, they make those stills 10 kilometers from here in Markdorf, which is in the, in the south of Germany, do you want to go? And I did, and I said, love to. So we went later that day, and I met a guy called Valker Dietrich, and he actually designed our distillery and built the whole thing. So I had somebody that was world-class, that helped us, plus a distiller then who joined us from the U.S.
1: From the U.S.? Because
0: we had no… Expertise. We're the first distillery in Connacht in over 101 years when we opened. So we had to start with him and train the team. We now have 30 in total, but we train them one by one.
1: And where did he get displaced from to come and live in Drum in County Leitrim?
0: Well, he had worked in another distillery in Ireland and okay. had left and was going to head back to the US and I just happened to find out about him and uh, met him and he married a girl from Sligo, which was pretty handy. That's handy for everybody. That's very
1: handy. <laughs> and now he and lovely for the girl from Sligo, lovely I'm sure. Lovely for the girl
0: from Sligo and we're thrilled to have him. His name is Brian Taft and he's a rock star as far as we're concerned. Because not alone is he a great distiller, but he's a wonderful teacher. So he's managed to teach all these folks, the art of distillation, bottling, packing, so on and so forth, nearly everybody at the distillery was unemployed. Some so,
1: talk to me about that, and talk to me about the values that you look for, because we, we touched on that already earlier, and I didn't want to get into it, because it feels like it belongs in this part of the story. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the, the, you know, we, we are part of the community up there, and it, for us to be successful, we need to work very closely with the community. So, one by one, people started to join us. And what was really interesting, they were unemployed for different periods of time, some up to eight years, five years. Um, but what's extraordinary is how quickly they learned the skills and how they've all retrained, how they all have excelled, and how they're all making a wonderful contribution. And it's something that I probably didn't expect, nor my wife, nor uh, John Dillon, who's another director of ours. Um it's probably the second impact we, we did no idea this would happen. So they're incredibly resourceful in that part of the country, and maybe folks who have been out of work for a while are even more resourceful. We have these two who've never worked ever, ever, ever ever ever, and they're now working and they're highly productive. Um, yeah, and it's been, it's been a huge success and it's part of our DNA now.
1: And it creates real social impact.:
0: It does. Huge social impact. I also have a, an extraordinary sales and marketing team of folks who are um, out of college, um, maybe didn't make it into the big top companies. Um, I call them the Spitfire pilots because they're only up and you know in the Second World War you had mm-hmm. six weeks of training and mm-hmm. you flew. But these are young, uh, great attitude, great energy, um, working now at a very very senior level in our company. Um, taking our brand to the four corners of the world um, but the most important thing is their courage and their attitude. I'll train them or we'll train them um, and that's been another huge piece of learning. So while the college degrees are very important and very helpful and masters and really what you want is the right attitude and courage and approach. And you
1: can mould that. You can mould it. So remind us what are the things you look for in your employees?
0: I think the most... Well, first, well, we're looking for a good attitude. People who will work together, who are flexible, who are resourceful, who have a good work ethic, hardworking, and after good character. And after that, we train them.
1: It's funny because one of the pervasive issues of business in our time is culture.
0: Yes. Yes. We have the opportunity to create a culture from zero. And because I was so fortunate to hire Brian Taft on the production side, he has helped really create a very good culture, because he's a great teacher. And we were starting off from zero. And we were starting off creating skills for folks who had no experience, and we could train them.
1: I think you're being overly modest, I'm going to say, because I think a lot of companies start from zero and don't end up with good cultures. I think... What you, as a leader, have brought to the table, dare I say, is really good human values that have created yes. the experience of working in Drumshambo. It's a, that's what it sounds like from the outside.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah you're probably right. I'm making we, you we, blush we, we, now, we, on we iPad. T- <laughs> we tend to, we tend to keep a yeah, where we, we tend to just stay very. I mean, working in Leitrim, they tend to be low-key operators. Yes, and. Um,
1: None of your guff.
0: No, they don't take too much guff. And um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because we had the Whole Foods buyer over from the US um, recently, you know, who are now bought by Amazon.com, and she visited the distillery and she said, this is the most emotional, incredible distillery I've ever visited. And by the way, you're way too modest, you guys. I said, well, that's Ireland. She said, That's I don't. our thing. She said, I don't care. You're way too modest. You need to, you need to blow your trumpet a bit more. But um, we, we tend to keep a low profile.
1: Okay, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back on modestly creating remarkable brands. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. So we promised we'd come back with your great topic building remarkable brands. So, I know that this is um, something that you talk about a lot. And I suppose, given the accolades, and uh, am I right in thinking best gin in the world at the Gin Oscars in New York?
0: Well, there's there's, there's these Oscars in New York. Yes. You don't enter it. Right. You're not allowed to enter. There's 22,500 brands that they look at and they choose five brands every year. And we are one of the five, and it's voted by up to four hundred thousand folks on this platform called Flaviar. So we were very fortunate. All to... gins, five gins. No, no, it's um, no, it may by not by category. It it no, it's not. It's just the best five brands in the world, and uh, so it just happened in our case to be a gin.
1: Well, no, it just happened to be your gin.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> that modesty coming out again.
0: Well, we're very chuffed with it. and
1: That's extraordinary.
0: It is. For us, it's 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 tremendous. But it's what we're hearing from consumers right across the world. They do love the brand and they love the story behind the brand. And more than anything, they love the experience of drinking the
1: gin. And isn't that everything? Because if, if, if the product doesn't stand up to the story...
0: Yeah, you, in fact, you, your, pro, your product has to exceed the story. And, and we've, we've tried to do it from Shamba Gunpowder Our gin is Exceed in terms of the delivery. It's distilled with Oriental Botanicals and gunpowder tea. It's done in a very unique way. And everything we do is all done at the distillery. So we do the full distillation,
1: the packing,
0: the bottling, and so on.
1: So I know uh, everybody watching is going to want to know, what is that process like when you sit down with a blank sheet of paper? You know you're going to make a gin. And am I right in thinking that the gin happened because the whiskey was distilling? Not exactly,
0: because when we set up the distillery, we set up the distillery as a multi-purpose distillery. So we have our three copper pots working on Irish whiskey. Which doesn't happen overnight. No. And it'll be almost five years before we release it at the end of this year. Then we have another copper pot working on our gin, another one on vodka, three column stills. So we always intended to do this. And I've travelled all over the world for so many years And I'm kind of known as the curious mind amongst everybody who knows me. So this whole story around from Shambo Gunpowder Irish Gin is built around the curious mind of P.J. Rigney, where I picked up botanicals along the journeys of many of my journeys from the Orient (coughs) and brought them back, mixed them with Meadowsweet in Ireland and created this wonderful gin.
1: Amazing. So that's the concept of the product. What happens next?
0: Sorry. I Go for
1: that. it. <laughs> it's thirsty work. <laughs>
0: um, well, I mean, obviously then you need to, to express that in a form of... That's going to connect with consumers in terms of the, the packaging, the presentation, the story, the communication. And uh, so this is how the brand actually... Fabulous. ...has come to life in the, in this pack. Um, in and this, this even the
1: outer packaging is quite unusual, isn't it?
0: Yes, and... and I have this wonderful design team who work with me and my team to create this brand, everything from the glass to the label to the presentation. Um, and we work very much in a hands-on and collaborative way. I also had the support of Borbia on the Thinking House on this project as well. So they helped me on the Consumer Insights So
1: side. we will have um, listeners who don't have the benefit of visuals here. So describe the packaging for us. Well, the,
0: the primary pack is this, this blue bottle with uh, with, um, with a very tactile effect, white label, with um, soft blue emboss with uh, jackalope at the the center of it. Some Chinese writing on the, the right side here, which means gunpowder tea, which is, um, it's known as from Shamba Gunpowder Irish Gin. So, one of the key ingredients is gunpowder tea.
1: I have to ask you about the jackalope.
0: The jackalope is something that I've always wanted to put on a pack. It's a mythical f- animal that uh, has some connection with shambo but probably more c- connection with me and uh, the curious mind and I just love jackalopes I've always loved them
1: I have never heard of a jackalope before
0: Yeah well they're they're pretty f- famous in the US but um, this is the first one ever to arrive in, in Shambo.
1: And the bottle is then surrounded by a sort of a, a quite an unusual outer cardboard shell with the the top of the bottle exposed Yeah and and
0: and and at even even the The glass is cosmetic glass, so it's the very highest quality glass. Our cork is um, made of wood with with a brass deboss. So, everything that we do with the brand is very high quality, very tactile, very touchy, very feely. And really, you start to experience the brand once you see it, once you touch it, and then obviously once you drink it, then you get the full experience.
1: And so, presumably, you taste tested and you uh, did competitor analysis and... Were you, uh, this is a terrible question to ask in one way, but were you able to put your hand on your heart and say, this is the best tasting gin?
0: I think so. And with our tremendous distiller, we actually made a couple of significant changes in terms of how it's actually distilled in order to do that. So, first of all, we have a unique still that is dedicated to gin. It doesn't distill anything else.
1: And would that be an unusual thing? It
0: would be, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we We also distill... Everything ourselves. So everything that goes into the bottle goes through our still. We have a vapour basket on the side where we only use fresh citrus. We take the cut of the gin. At a, at a, it's a very tight cut. I won't give it all away, but it's a very tight cut.
1: <laughs> I'm going home to make it now at this yeah. stage, but
0: <laughs> so That's at the alcohol level. So, um, And then we rest for 21 days. And then we do a very light cold filtration. So we leave the I'm essential oils. I'm sure it's oils. more a case
1: of the alcohol resting than you <laughs> resting, I can imagine. But. Well, we
0: don't rest too much. <laughs> but, um, and then you get this wonderful experience.
1: Is the smell fantastic in the facility? It, the smell is fantastic.
0: Yes, it absolutely smells. And, and the botanical smell wonderful.
1: So you've created this remarkable gr- brand. It tastes wonderful. It looks world class. What is that? connection point then with the customer what, what, what brings closure on the sale well I guess I mean
0: when we put this together I had no idea that the brand would resonate so well with consumers around the world or indeed the gatekeepers who you have to get past to get to the consumer um, I when we did the design so we did the work and I work by the way directly with the design team I don't work through a middle person so I worked directly with them. And, and is
1: the design team in-house? No. It's it an is, agency.
0: They're, yes, and they're based on the island of Ireland. All our photography, all our design is done here with this amazing team. Um, so I, we have this, what I call a kind of a, just an interaction that's very unique. Um, we do, I have a vision, but, and I'm a very visual guy, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of trial and error. I also would have a team in Dalcassian Wines and Spirits with John Dillon where we'd I would stress test ideas and visuals with them and my own team.
1: And is that a focus group situation?
0: Not necessarily, no. Not for that, because I don't think focus groups are right for design. This would be, what do you think? Am okay. I in the right tracks? And, you know, and then at the end of the day, I have to make a decision. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And um, so there's a huge leap of faith in this. And if you actually not for look... Not the first time. Not for the first time. <laughs> but if you look at a lot of what we've done, if you look at this pack and you look at a lot of what we've done in, with Sausage Tree, Pure Irish Vodka and other stuff, it actually doesn't stack up. So so it, it technically,
1: a, analytically, it you does. can't make a science out of this?
0: No. There's a huge art in this. Um, there's a science in terms of process. But at the end of the day, some of the elements we brought together don't normally sit together. And... Um, And you're looking for that connection. You're looking for that X factor. And so you have to trust your instinct. You have to trust your gut. Um, If we put something like this through the normal process, it wouldn't look anything like this. It would all be all very proper and very everything in the right place. And
1: possibly a little more boring.
0: A lot more boring. And one of the things we're picking up from consumers is that while they they want to know that, that our brand is made the right way and we do it, they want some excitement and they want a story and they want they want the emotion and they want to know that there's a curious mind who's traveled all over the world and has done all of these amazing things and they they, they love that and we take great pride in the fact that and my team take great pride in the fact that it's been embraced by so many people in Ireland but and also overseas.
1: And in terms of, uh, I, I love that tension between the gatekeepers and the consumer. Yes. For a business, you know, because regardless of your sector, if you are consumer-facing, that exists because somebody always holds the keys to the kingdom in terms right. of whether it's broadcasting or whether it's the supermarket shelf. Did you find yourself in situations where the consumer had a voice to the gatekeeper? Well, i give you,
0: <clears throat> there's been a couple of interesting things that happened that were kind of early on that kind of made me sit up. Um, one was the target buyer in the US. Um, he he was presented with the brand. And he, he said, this is very good. Um, and I apparently took it home and showed his wife the brand. And she said, this is amazing. So he comes back in and he, he goes from one store to 200 stores pretty much immediately because... He, he saw an immediate reaction and obviously people around the, um, around the, the, the target office had the same, same feeling. So what's interesting about this brand is that it just seems to connect with people from all sorts of backgrounds, whether they all sorts of nationalities and I'm big into the first two or three seconds. Do people get it? Do they connect? Because if they don't, You've got to spend a lot of money to get them to connect. And we don't have that, those resources. We're...
1: I, have, I have to go back to the logistical nightmare in my head now, because I, I'm thinking, one store to 200 target stores in a US market, what sort of pressure does that put on the business? Um, well,
0: it sounds like a lot, but it's, 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 and it is a lot, and we're delighted to have it, but it's, we're well able to cope with that. because. Okay. We just hire more people um, and we, we do it in a very, um, yeah, organized so way. So, the
1: facility can flex to it meet can. demand.
0: Yeah, we're very flexible. That's one of the great things about the team, very flexible. And, you know, we've added a lot of people, a lot of facilities. We put in a proper bottling facility. So, yeah, we're able to go with the flow um, so far. But, you know, we don't take anything for granted. And while, you know, we, we're doing well and we're growing the business... I'm, I sleep with one eye open. Because so,
1: <laughs> you never know what's around <laughs> the corner. That's for sure. That's for sure. And I suppose that flexibility is almost a symptom of resourcefulness. Yes. I mean, one of the things
0: that I've learned on this project is some of our greatest successes in terms of activation of the brand or communication of the brand have cost us the least amount of money. And it's about having great resourcefulness around how we communicate the brand. And in fact, consumers today do not want to be overly marketed to. They want to find the brand for themselves and you need to help them find the brand for and themselves. communicate appropriately. And communicate appropriately. Our team at the distillery have done extraordinary things in terms of maybe repairing a machine or, or moving things around. They do lean them uh, themselves. Um, they have their own lean system. Um, we I was going to ask
1: you that. It sounds like lean is really embedded in the way you operate.
0: It, it is without formally doing it. And that's yeah. down to the culture led by our... Distiller, and the same with our sales and marketing team, both in The Shed and Dalcassian. They are very um, flexible, yeah. um, sharing tasks, um, working together, um, and that's something that's, going to, that's critical to our DNA. The key thing now is to maintain that.
1: And it's not only critical to your DNA, it's critical to your success because you are in competition with Bahamas, like monsters. Yes.
0: I think you call them the gorillas. Well, there's, we're, we're in competition with very large companies, that's for sure. And, you know, we are really pushing into the export market now. And that's that's where we see great opportunities, you know, in North America, continental Europe. We've just got a listing in Hong Kong Airport, uh, which we're very proud of, um, Sydney. so But we're up against very large companies. So we need to be nimble, highly innovative. We need to be um, – and we need to communicate with, with consumers in a very um, – I suppose in a very quick and easy way because we don't have the resources of the big the big companies who I think are quite respectful of what we do, to be honest, and, sure. and, and, and I think quietly impressed.
1: So, you are at a sort of a, a pivot point of the company now where you're looking at a, a much higher rate of growth. What are the challenges that you can see or foresee coming down the line?
0: I think the challenges for us is to, the first thing is to ensure that we deliver the the brand experience for our consumers, our loyal consumers in Ireland and across the world, that we continue to excite them and surprise them. That's number one because that drives everything. I think the second challenge is, is as we grow our team to maintain our culture, um, maintain the DNA and pass that through the organization and I'm working very hard on that. And then obviously on the... On the production side, to make sure that we, as we expand, that we, we don't overexpand, and just try and, you know, keep 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 it keep it going in the right way, um, and uh, so they're probably the key challenges.
1: How valuable then, as a network, is the UI Entrepreneur of the Year family, as it's been called.
0: Well, it's for me. I mean, I'm am a new member of the the network, and, and I was. Congratulations! Thank you very much. I was nominated last year, and honestly, when I was nominated, we were so busy with the project, I I didn't know very much about the UI program. And when I went on the the retreat, I was and met all the people involved. I was blown away with really for the first time in a long time i was meeting people like me i didn't think they existed
1: your tribe <laughs> my
0: tribe and it was it was tremendous it was very refreshing um it was all it was an extraordinary experience to be on the program for the year i'm very excited about it this year being involved with the program but for me it's it's actually connecting with people who are similar to, to me um it's a relief that there are other people like that out there <laughs> and and listen it's we, we, we benefit from each other uh, in so many ways. I was on the EY Energizer, um, picked up loads of new ideas. On the retreat, I picked up several ideas which I've implemented in the business. Um, you Because
1: know, if you're in the right network,
0: the answers are in the room. The answers are in the room, yes. They are in the room. Uh, but sometimes it's, a lot of it's just it's almost like a, a head cleanser just to go and spend time with these folks. Yeah. And you just feel, well, actually, at the end of the day, you know what? I'm actually doing okay because I'm just listening to somebody else's horror story or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, the
1: horror stories are nearly more inspiring than the success there's, stories. There's no shortage of them. And so, you have um, very soon, I believe, you're opening a new visitor experience. Is that right?
0: We actually start to, we start to build um, the week after Next. So... We will build what we hope will be a really fantastic visitor's experience in the Hidden Heartlands um, of Drumshambo. And we is this an official title? No.
1: Ah, <laughs> I think it is now. It is now. <laughs> the Hidden Heartlands. You heard it here first. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. And we'll open it this time next year. Amazing. And we'll imp- another I have 20 wo- people, hopefully, on the payroll.
1: That's fantastic. Please, God. I have one final question for you. Why is your business successful?
0: My business is successful, my God. I think there's no, the core of the success is the people that I've built around the business. My wife, my family, John Dillon on the Dal Cassian side. These are these remarkable people with good karma. And you bring that together and uh, nothing can stop you.
1: Pat, remarkable people, remarkable brand. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Joe's Architects of Business in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to all the team here at Maximum Studios and to my guest, Pat Rigney. If you haven't already done so, please do subscribe to the show to get a brand new episode for free into your feed every fortnight. I'm Sonia Lennon. Take care and we'll talk soon. The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.